0: It's well known that relatively large lakes that are very shallow lakes can be whipped into a frenzy in a matter of seconds by the sudden development of a storm. For <clears throat> quite a few years now, I have been fishing um, on Leech Lake. Uh, Leech Lake is a uh, fairly big lake. Uh, at one point, I think diagonally, it's about 10 to 12 miles across. It's a big lake. It's not very deep. And a few years ago, I was fishing off of Otter's Point on Leech Lake, and the fish were biting, and, but the wind was increasing. And the waves began to pick up, and they became three-foot waves and then four-foot waves, but the fish were biting. (laughs) And so what happened is we didn't realize that as the wind picked up that the waves were coming over that the sump pump was not working, and so we began to sink a little bit deeper down into the water, and we were slowly being swamped. So we tried to get out of there, but we couldn't motor very fast because the boat was very heavy. We had taken on a ton of water, and so it was a time of a little bit of initial panic. It was a time of prayer and a time for quick action and really a time for God's grace. We made it back. But that experience reminds me of our passage this morning. This, this, that experience, yes, it reminds me of our passage this morning, but I don't think it would be anything compared, really, to what Jesus' disciples experienced on the Sea of Galilee that is recorded for us in our passage this morning in Luke chapter 8. So I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 8 and find verse 22 And just be aware that today I have included these four verses in your bulletin insert, so you can have them right in front of you to connect the things that we're saying to the text, perhaps as you're taking notes. So take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 8, find verse 22. Incredible passage. Can't do it justice. Wonderful passage. Follow along as I read, starting in verse 22. Now, on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. They came to Jesus and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves. And they stopped, and it became calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? Storms appeared out of nowhere on the Sea of Galilee. You have to understand that the Sea of Galilee is unique in God's creation. It is 700 feet below sea level, at the water level. And yet, there are hills surrounding the entire sea. Particularly on the east side of the sea, one could describe these as mountains, And so what happens is, is that colder air, really, really cool air, comes from the top of the mountains from the east and in the ravines, and the cool air sweeps down from the east side of the lake through the ravines, and there's warmer air that has collected over the surface of the waters, and that cold air and that warm air collide, and it's displaced, and instantly, a storm is created in what one has said, confined quarters. It's not like you can be sitting on your deck and see the storm come from miles away. It's not like they had smartphones with Doppler radar. These storms would come upon people upon that lake instantly. And at times they could be deadly. And so the Sea of Galilee, also called the Lake of Gennesaret, so it's called a lake in our passage, is, I think, designed by God. I think it's a unique setting in the physical world that God created specifically for this event, that He designed for this moment in time for the spiritual world of every one of those disciples and every one of the disciples who had every... Uh, ever pass through storms in their lives, that they would be here right in this boat and feel this passage and the storm upon the sea. Because that storm was designed to be the setting of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, this is a physical picture of faith. He was right there in the flesh. A physical picture of faith in a real storm. Yet, I like what one scholar said, the physical rescue pictures spiritual truth as the exhortation to faith in the next verse makes clear. You see, look at verse 25. This is the point of the passage. It is in verse 25. And he said to them, where is your faith? Where is your faith? That is Christianity. That is the whole question of Christianity. That is the whole pinnacle question of Christianity. We are called to believe in Jesus. We started by believing in Jesus. We are going to finish believing in Jesus. And every moment, through every storm in this life, we are called to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. And we're going to have to look with spiritual eyes. That's what faith is. Not sight. It's faith. It's looking with spiritual eyes upon spiritual realities. Because physical sight tells us we're done. Physical sight can tell us it's over. So, here is what Jesus, through Luke, Is telling us, he's saying this trust in me. Trust in Christ in the midst of storms as you sail to the celestial shores. Trust in Christ in the midst of storms as you sail to the celestial shores. I can't emphasize just how important this passage is. So, what does our Lord Jesus desire us to believe about himself this morning? What does he desire us to believe about himself? There's probably more, but this morning we're going to unpack five truths. Five truths about Jesus. That Luke desires all of us to cling to, to to trust in about Jesus in the midst of our storms on this hard voyage home to heaven. So here we go. I'm I'm excited about this passage. First, trust that Jesus comprehends and controls the storm. Verse 22, trust that Jesus comprehends and controls the storm. Look at verse 22. Now, on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Stop there. Well, keep going. So, therefore, Jesus has an idea. So, they launched out. I want to ask you a question. I want you to listen and answer this question, each of you. Whose idea was it to launch out on the Sea of Galilee and head over to the other side of the lake? It was Jesus' idea. This is the idea of our Lord Christ. And when Jesus says, hey, get into the boat, we're going to the other side of the lake, we don't need to worry about what will happen next. It is his word. We have one task when he speaks clearly like this. It is to obey him and we get into the boat. You can't miss it. Jesus took them into the storm. You see, God comprehends our lives. God controls the details of our lives. God allows the storms of this life. And you just have to notice right away that it is Christ's idea, that Christ is in control of this whole series of, vi- of events in Luke chapter 8. Now now, hear me on this. They go across the lake. It's brutal. They get to the other side and they meet on the beach When they're getting out of the boat on the beach, they they meet a demoniac possessed by thousands of demons, and Jesus puts his glory on display, and they turn around at the end of that passage and they go right back from whence they came. Jesus went for a reason, and he says, get into the boat, we've got work to do. He takes them into the storm, and Jesus is working it all. That timing on the lake, he's working the the timing they get to the beach, that that demoniac would be right there. He's working it all to display his power, to display his care, to display his compassion. He's orchestrating it all, creating an opportunity to, to call forth the one needful thing for all disciples of Jesus Christ, whether in the old covenant looking forward to Christ, or in the new covenant looking back. The one thing that we need to show forth His glory and then to call forth all of us to gaze back upon His glory and to believe into Him, no matter what we see with the circumstances of this life. He's calling for faith in the Messiah. And the first truth that we must trust about Jesus in respect to his divine nature as the God-man, is this. He comprehends it all. He controls it all. So I want you to think about and personalize this. I want every person who's listening on the live stream, who's here, Gathered to think about that storm that they are currently going through in their life. Think about that storm. Let me just say some things about it. It's real. It's real. It's a storm, it's scary. Let me tell you some other things that are real about it. Are you ready for this one? It threatens to swamp your spiritual life. And I want to ask you a question. Whose idea was it? Is God surprised by it? Is he biting his fingernails? You know, it may well be that some of the sufferings in our lives, some of the storms in our lives come upon us precisely because Jesus himself said to us, hey, get into the boat. Get into the boat. And we got into the boat and we're led into the storm. I think we need to be very careful not to overthink our storms. What do I mean by that? Listen carefully. It's always a dangerous practice for Christians to micromanage the storms of their life, to overthink them. You know, second guessing, um, analyzing. Everything. Well, if I didn't do this or if I didn't do that, or I wonder if I just should have said it this way to that person at this time, I shouldn't have said this. I wonder if this storm would have really come, or I wonder if it's some sin, which is not always a particularly bad question to ask, but I wonder if this storm is from some particular sin and all of that. But I'm just saying, we got to be careful to not micromanage our storms. You know, at the end of the day, let's just follow Christ. Let's just be content with his word. Let his word settle it. Let's get into the boat and let's just go with what the Lord brings. I want you to see this. I I as a pastor, as a parent, I don't particularly care if you contributed to your storm by your own stupidity or sin. That's over. It's in the past. Here's the deal. Ultimately, even in your sin, God allows the storms of your life. Jesus Christ controls the storms of your life. And he said before the storm, get into the boat. And I think we've got to start right here in the battle for faith in the storms of our lives. That Jesus... We've got to believe that Jesus comprehends and controls even the storms of our lives. And I think this will set the foundation for the next point. Secondly, what do we need to believe in this passage about Jesus? Number two, we need to trust that Jesus cares in the storm. We have to trust that Jesus cares in the storm. What do I mean? Look at verse 23. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. So they set out, and Jesus is one of those guys who, like the businessman who hops on the airplane, they're out sleeping in five minutes. For their five-hour flight to L.A. from New York and all of that. They're just That's their nap time. Jesus is out. He's asleep in the boat. And as Jesus is sleeping, uh, the text says that there was a fierce gale of wind that descended upon the lake. I love that word descended because it's the topography of the cold air descending and clashing with the hot air. I love the details that Luke puts in here. The physician Luke So the storm is whipped up into a frenzy. In fact, a fierce gale of wind. It's hard to put this into the English language. I'll try a howling tempest, a violent upheaval, a furious squall. Doesn't do it justice. Matthew tries by calling it um, a sea quake. It's as if the ground was shifting underneath the boat. And There's a violent upheaval of the boat. Now, you have to understand as Jesus is still sleeping there in the storm that the disciples of Jesus Christ, most of them were professional fishermen. They have seen storm after storm after storm after storm on the Sea of Galilee throughout their lives. And yet, here is something beyond what they have seen. This is something more. And the boat is beginning to be swamped. It's filling up with water. It's beginning to sink. And the text says they are in danger. They are in danger of drowning. They are in danger of death. I want you to picture a 20 foot boat with probably 15 foot waves that came upon them in a matter of 30 seconds. And the water going above the bow, the stern of the boat, pushing the ship down lower and lower into the water. I want you to know that Jesus is still asleep. But the disciples are drowning. Jesus is asleep. In fact, Mark's gospel says this is how they woke Jesus up in the parallel passage. Are you ready? Do you not care that we are drowning? Do you not even care? You see, in the storms of our lives, sometimes it feels like we. Utterly alone. We're drowning, we're about to die, and he's asleep. Nowhere to be heard, nowhere to be seen. It takes not sight, but it takes faith faith to trust. That Jesus cares when he's not responding to the storms of our life on our timetable, in our way. It takes faith. I think it's interesting that the howling storm doesn't wake him up. I mean, the howling storm doesn't wake him up, but the cries of his desperate disciples Rouse him from sleep. Those whom he loves. He wakes for those whom he loves. He wakes because he cares. Sight tells us that we're sinking. Jesus, do you hear my cries? Do you even care? But faith, if if we're seeing with the eyes of faith, and Jesus feels absent from our trials, the eyes of faith tell us that indeed he does care, that he does hear, and it would be a mistake when we're seeing by faith to conclude that when Jesus doesn't seem to answer, that we are alone swamped in that boat, in that storm, that, that no one understands, that God himself does not understand what's going on and how we're feeling, the danger we're in, Faith knows that is not the truth. Faith knows that is bad thinking. We need to trust. We need to believe that He knows. He knows every sparrow that falls to the ground. He knows every contour of every wave. He knows the speed of the wind. He knows exactly where they're at. He knows the height. He knows the depth. He understands. When it seems like he doesn't care, we need to believe that he does care in the midst of the storm. And that's why it takes faith to believe the truth. And here's the truth. In the midst of the storms of our life, Jesus cares for you. He understands. He is a real man. He is a partaker of flesh and blood. He understands and he cares. And some of the evidence of this is the fact that he's sleeping. Isn't this amazing picture of our Lord Jesus? He's asleep in the midst of this kind of storm. Why is he asleep? Well, he's asleep in respect to his manhood, right? Deity doesn't sleep in respect to the divine nature. He sleeps in respect to his manhood. He's utterly exhausted. You know why? He's been preaching and teaching and ministering all day long. And he's exhausted from it. Absolutely, utterly exhausted. Now, he's in danger of drowning as well. Let me say that. In respect to his humanity... He's in danger of drowning. You ever thought about that? Well, there's probably another reason that he was asleep. You have to understand that in respect to his humanity, Jesus trusted his heavenly father. He trusted the plan, the purposes of his heavenly father. And I'll tell you that for Jesus, yes, he was tired, but he also trusted. There was two reasons he was asleep. In respect to his humanity, he trusted in the plan of his father. His heart was settled. And he trusted in the plan and the sovereignty of God. It's not just an abstract, distant concept of God's sovereignty in respect to Christ's humanity that he trusted. It did something for his heart. It settled his heart, and he slept in that boat. Jesus doesn't have a problem. He sleeps. I'll tell you what. If you put your trust in a sovereign God who is also your daddy and who is wise and good... Now, that is a soft pillow in the storms of this life. It was for Christ. And in respect to his humanity, the wind and the waves threatened him as well. Jesus is really a man. He's fully man. He was tired. He was trusting his heavenly Father. But in respect to his humanity, he had fished as well. He was a wise man. He was in danger in that boat. The lungs of our Lord Jesus Christ can fill up with water just as much as yours. He can feel the wind. He can feel the waves. And yet, he sleeps. But understand, as one has said, quotes. Jesus has had personal experience of all the sinless infirmities of the body. He himself hungered. He himself thirsted. He himself suffered pain. He himself endured weariness and sought rest to to sleep. End quotes. So we need to be confident of the truth of the scriptures in Hebrews 4.15 that we trust the Christ who cares we trust a Christ who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities he does care he is emotionally moved with us in our trials he cares for us he understands and frankly he's trying to model how to respond in the midst of trials have you ever thought about that when he's silent maybe we should follow his example But none of this matters if the third truth is not true. Yes, he cares. But just as importantly, can he do something about it? Third, then, in this passage, verses 24 and 25, we need to trust that Jesus commands the storms. Number three, trust that Jesus commands the storm. Look at verse 24. Incredible what happened. They came to Jesus and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. And so, Jesus wakes up. They shake him awake. He wakes up because he cares. And Jesus doesn't get up and grab the blue line on the sail and grab this oar and start bailing water. He doesn't do anything. You know what he does? He speaks. The word of God. He speaks. He rebuked the wind and the surging waves. And the text says it became calm. Now, I want you to do something with me. I don't think we cap- this is captured in our minds. I want you to close your eyes and imagine. Work with me here. Imagine being in a boat, and there's 15-foot waves, and you're sinking, and Jesus stands, he steadies himself, and... He rebukes the wind and the surging waves. Now, see it in your mind, right? The waves coming in and now, ready? 1,001. Open your eyes and the sun is out and it's perfectly glass. That is what happened here. Don't let the liberal scholars tell you any different. Yes, it's a miracle to instantly take 12, 15 foot waves and drop them down. But if you've been on the water, you know it takes sometimes hours for the, for the lake to, to become glass. But with Jesus, this is what happens He speaks, and it's over. And the disciples now are fearful. Well, they were fearful, but they're fearful for a different reason. 1,001, and they wake, turn their eyes up, and they're fearful for a whole different reason. First, they're fearful of the waves and the wind. Now, they're fearful of this one in the boat, and they're amazed, and they're saying to one another, who then is this, that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? Okay, now listen carefully. The wind and the waves don't obey God through Jesus as an agent. Like, let me, guys, we just need to stop and pray. We need to have a Bible study. No. It's not like Jesus is praying, doing an incantation or something, working in some sort of an intermediate miracle where he pleads to God for God to do something. No. The wind and the waves obey Jesus Christ directly. Look at the text. And the water. And they, circle it if you do that sort of thing, they obey Him. We're meant to see this. So we learn that this one asleep in the boat is truly man. But now we learn that this one in the boat and the disciples see it and they feel it, they know very clearly that this is God in the boat with them. Because no one... Now we watch a lot of Marvel movies, so maybe... the so that's twisting our minds on some of these things. But I'll tell you what, no one controls creation but Yahweh. And the Jews knew that because they read their Bibles. This is the clear teaching of the Old Testament time and time again. Write these references down and just fill your heart and mind with these references about Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and His control over the created order. Psalm 65 verse 5. By awesome deeds, you answer us in righteousness, O God of our salvation. You who are the trust of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest sea, who establishes the mountains by his strength, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples. And Psalm 89, verse 9, You rule the swelling of the sea, When its wave rise, you still them. And from our scripture reading in Psalm 107, verse 26, speaking of the waves, they rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and were at their wits end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired haven. Oh, they knew. They knew that it was Yahweh in the boat, fully God, fully man. They were in the presence of God, A consciousness right then of being in the presence of the majesty of God brings fear. It brings wonder. Ask Isaiah. Ask Ezekiel. Ask Peter after the miraculous catch of fish when Jesus controlled the created order then. And Peter saw that and he fell down in that boat at Jesus' feet. And he said, go away from me, Lord, Adonai, Yahweh, go away from me, for I am a sinful man. Jesus is in the boat. At that point, he's so afraid, just get me out of this boat. Clearly now, Luke is presenting Jesus as the divine son of man. Yahweh in the flesh. Fully man, for he slept. Fully God, for the waves slept at his command. The God-man in the boat. We have to remember, we have to believe that the one in the boat with us has all power. He has the power to command even the created order, for he is the creator and nothing is impossible for him Yes, he loves you, but he has all power. Months ago, I don't know, I'm interested in this sort of thing. I'm sure you are as well. The first images were taken of of the visualized universe by the new James Webb telescope. Makes the Hubble look like a Christmas gift for a 10-year-old. Breathtaking images. Stars colliding and exoplanets outside of the solar system detailed, seeing all at once at least 40 galaxies. Each of those galaxies, our little galaxy is 52,850 light years in size. And It was estimated with Hubble that there are 100 billion galaxies. And now with the Webb telescope, the sweat is starting to pour because we're not certain they can be numbered with our technology, that sort of thing. And let me tell you something. The one sleeping in that boat spoke in an instant. All of those galaxies into existence by the word of his power. That one asleep in the boat holds every atom in the entire universe together. Every atom in that wave and molecule of water in that lake. And throughout all the universe he holds it together by the word of his power. As Paul wrote in Colossians 1.16... For by him all things were created, this is speaking of Christ, from the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Think about this. I love this. If Jesus Christ is on your side, if he's in your boat, And he loves you. And he has this kind of power to command the atoms of the water and of the storm. I think that we're going to be okay. I think we're going to be all right. And so first, we trust that Jesus comprehends and controls the storm. And then we trust that Jesus cares. He cares in the midst of the storm. But that's pretty... That's pretty incomplete because we must trust that Jesus commands the storm. And now as we continue to move on, and I better do it, wow, this should be a part two, we need to remember that a ship sailing across the sea has always been in church history a metaphor of the believers walk through the storms of this life, of the churches under persecution getting to the other side. It's always been a picture. You can study church history to see this. And so the last three we as will continue to build on this. Number four, trust that Jesus, this will be quick, trust that Jesus will come with you in the storm. I want you to know, dear Christian, who's in the storm, who's suffering, who's going through it, Jesus is with you in the boat. Jesus is with you in the boat. He's not... Now listen, I want you to put some theology behind that. He's not going to let you drown spiritually. If you drown spiritually and lose your salvation spiritually... but but yet you're united to Jesus by faith, what does that tell you about the gospel if you can drown spiritually? You cannot. You're united to Christ. If Jesus drowns, you drown. If you drown, then Jesus Christ drowned 2,000 years ago upon the cross of Calvary. You are united to Him. You are safe in the ark of Christ, above the waters of the wrath of God, And if he is in your boat, if he is with you and this text says that he is, then you cannot be drowned spiritually and you will make it home to the other side. So we got to trust that Jesus will come with us, which then leads us to that next point that I want to just expound just for a couple of minutes. Number five then it comes from that. He's in the boat with us, so we've got to trust that Jesus will carry you. Trust that Jesus will carry you through the storm, all the way home. What does Psalm 107 verse 30 say? Then they were glad because the waves were quiet, and so he guided them to their desired haven. Christian? You cannot be drowned by your sin and by your shame and by your storm or by Satan himself. Jesus is alive. He is not dead at the bottom of that boat. He is alive. He cares. He commands and he will carry you to the celestial stores of glory. This is a mighty truth. You have to believe this. Do not undermine it thinking he loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. Christ commands your soul. He's with you in the boat. He will carry the Christian home to the other side of the shore. This is the truth of the gospel unpacked in the New Testament time and time again. Philippians 1 verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus or what Pastor Don read at the beginning of our service 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable that means it's imperishable and undefiled and will not be Fade, it will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith. Through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Or, how about Romans chapter 8, verse 31? What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So who will separate us from the, from the love of Christ? What's the answer to that? No one, nothing. And he goes on to say, for I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. There's no wave, there's no storm big enough to shipwreck the faith of a believer in Jesus Christ nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think we forget that. We need to trust that Jesus will carry us home, all the way home. But that begs the question. Number six, here's the unfortunate truth that we need to believe in this passage. Put your seatbelt on. We need to trust that Jesus will challenge you in the midst of the storm. We have to trust that Jesus will challenge you in the midst of the storm. You have to understanding, dear believer, he's going to challenge you. Notice what he says in our passage in Luke chapter 8, verse 25. Look again. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Now, listen, they did have faith already. After all, you know, they went to Jesus in the storm. Where else are they going to go? And the cross reference in Matthew chapter 8 says, Oh, you of little faith. They had faith already. They were believers. But you need to understand, when the storm came... They were not at that moment believing the truth about their Christ and about their circumstances. At that moment, they were not exercising their faith. Faith must be used. Faith must be exercised. J.C. Ryle says, quotes, To have true saving faith is one thing. To have that faith always ready for use is quite another, end quotes. We have to understand that the storms of this life come upon us suddenly. And we just think when things are just so smooth, oh God is good and God is good and all of that. And we just can coast and we're not coming to church. We're not getting serious about prayer. We're not in the word every day. We're not renewing our minds with the truth. And if we're not exercising our faith when it's still, we're not prepared for the storms of this life. We've got to be preparing for the storm when the sun is shining. That's why we're in the Word. That's why we're coming to church so that we can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ so that we can understand with an unveiled faith the truth preached, the truth with unveiled face in the Word of God and we could behold it as in a mirror of the Word, the glory of the Lord and be transformed into His image from glory to glory. Because listen, we can't just whip up truth about Jesus to believe in. If it's not in your mind and in your, in your heart, what are you going to believe? On the day of the storm. Faith isn't in faith. My faith is pathetic. My Jesus is great. And I need more of him. And then the exercise. Trust in him alone. You say, well... How do we know if we're not having faith? Let me give you one hint from this passage. Just one hint. There's probably other ways to know. When you're full of fear and anxiety at your circumstances, then at that moment you're struggling. Fear is the enemy of faith. We are a mixed bag. You're always going to have some measure of fear. It's just call it what it is. Turn from it and turn to trust in Jesus. In the midst of the storms, we're going to feel the fear. It's natural. But what we need to do is take our eyes off the storms, to confess our fear, to believe the truth about Jesus and say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. So, what are we to believe about Christ? We are to trust in Christ As we sail to the celestial shores in the midst of the storms of this life. And in this passage, we are to believe five truths about the person and work of Christ for us in the midst of the storms. Number one, we are to trust that Jesus comprehends and controls the storms of our life. We are to trust that, well, it doesn't seem like it sometimes, Jesus cares for us in the midst of the storms that he truly does understand. And feel what we're going through. But we are also to trust that Jesus commands all of creation. And we are to trust then that if he cares and he commands. We are to trust that he will come with us. In the boat with us. And he will carry us all the way to the other side of the celestial shores. But on the way we need to trust and remember that he will challenge us in order to call forth faith in us in the midst of the storm. Pastor Lloyd Johnson, my mentor and the pastor of Twin Cities Bible Church, just died. And his last words for me the day before he died and the elders of Twin Cities Bible Church, I could barely hear them, but his last words were, were this, simply this, have faith in Jesus. It started with, I couldn't hear it very well. It started with faith, it will end with faith. He said, just have faith in Jesus. And you know, I'll tell you what, if there's any man in the history of the world that could have said, God doesn't care, it's Jesus. As he hung naked upon the tree, saying, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? If there's anyone who could say, God doesn't care, it is Jesus. But in the midst of it, God did care. And God, through the death of his son, cared for me. And he cared for you. And he redeemed through that storm many sons for glory. And then he cared for his son. When he rose him out of the grave. He does care. May we remember. According to Psalm 107. That this God. Who controls the waters. Has dealt. Fully. With his wrath. Which is. Compared to water. In the scripture. And let us remember that our Lord Jesus drowned, taking into his lungs, as it were, the wrath of God. And he went under the waves of God's wrath for me and for you. But he came up from the water and he has become, listen, the only ship in the entire universe that will make it to the shores of heaven. He's the only boat. He is called the ark, and you need to simply trust in him and enter into the ark, and God himself will seal you in Christ, and you will sail safely to the other side, and he will guide you to your desired haven. Just what, like Paul wrote when he was about to have his head severed by a Roman sword, at the end of his life he said this in 2 Timothy 4.18, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.